hey, when you come to your life group, bring a box of cereal. The food bank is officially empty. They've been distributing food all over the place and furniture. So let's bring some more. Can I have an amen? amen. This week. Foundations of marriage and family. Vision Sunday last week. What a great time we had. How many have a spirit of faith? Come on, how many have a spirit of faith? Say, we have a spirit of faith. We're quick to believe, quick to receive, quick to do the word of God. So as I was looking at this, the Lord said as I was on the, 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 the ocean front with one of our board members this last week for about four days, he looked at me and said, we're building a hundred year church. How many believe that? We're building a hundred year church. I want to work back from that statement. We're building a hundred year church. So many churches end at 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. So many ministers give their life for 30 and 40 years for the gospel. And then by the time they die, their kids aren't serving God. The people in the church have all left and there's nobody left but a few old folks to give a few offerings. And then all of a sudden what happens is they can't pay the rent. They can't keep the heat on. And so they sell that church to someone else like us. Can I have an amen? <laughs> and we'll buy it and renovate it and put a pastor in it that can preach the gospel in it. But that's a sad story. It's a sad situation. And we don't want to see that happen to people. In fact, as I was thinking about this, I was reading this book. You, want to, you might want to get it. It's a great book. Uh, it's Take Back Your Family. How do we take back the family? How many know there's been an all-out attack and war on the family? The devil hates the family. The devil hates fathers. He hates anything that has to do with the family. He comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So when we think the devil's going to rip off the family, the first thing we think is, okay, the biggest problem in America today has been fatherlessness. I would agree with that. Most of the problems in America come from fatherlessness. 24.9 million homes today are without fathers. So when you take away what the devil does is hit the target. The Bible says, hit the shepherd and the sheep scatter. Hit the shepherd of the home and the sheep scatter. And so we always attribute this to some messed up family. And a lot of times we say it's because of alcoholism or infidelity or immorality or drug addiction. What, what, there's many things, but we never look at the Christian side of this. And when you look at the Christian side of this, I was reading this book and they made a quote and it's, this is not gossip, this is a fact. That when Ruth Graham wrote a book and was interviewed, you can watch it on YouTube, what she said is we had one of the greatest evangelists of our time, Billy Graham. She said, but my childhood and young adulthood and my brothers and sisters was known for divorce, drinking and drugs because we had an absentee father. We never think of that that way. We think because he's a minister, a pastor, an evangelist, somebody that's doing the gospel all over the world, that, that maybe somehow those kids can get a, a do-over, or maybe those kids can get a, somebody at the church who will father them. But there is no other place and for the greatest calling on the earth is to be a father of children to be a husband to a wife. And in this series in February, The Foundations, we're going to look at how to reconstruct those foundations. It hit me personally probably 15 years ago when I was, some of you guys were here at that point. I was flying every other week back to Oklahoma City, pastoring a church in Norman, Oklahoma that was starting to take off and building momentum. 
and we had just moved into this building and so it was a busy, busy time. And at that time, we, we really had some great givers in that church. So that's when we established our missions foundation and started giving money all over the world. And in that, I started traveling all over the world many times, two, sometimes in two months, two or three times to many of the Bible schools that, that we had with a partner of ours. And all of a sudden, I was standing in Spain, up maybe one hour north of Barcelona, getting ready to teach a graduation. 500 Bible school students, beautiful Spaniards. And I was getting ready, walking around the pool, overlooking this beautiful city of this just trees and a big river. And I was trying to get in the spirit for a great message for these 500 students to commission them to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And I did get a message. I heard the Lord speak. And at this time, I was sitting on planes and cars, sleeping a lot, writing sermons a lot. But I was away from the very people God called me to, my own family. And the Lord said to me, I never asked you to sacrifice your family on the altar of ministry. That shook me. He said, I want you to go home. I want you to close the church. And I want you to be there for your your kids and your wife. You see, many times we see that this provision, I'm called to be the provider. So even though you're not so much present overseas, but you might be so present at your job trying to be a provider that you're not present for your kids. You might be so present trying to get ahead in the American dream or following provision and what you could have and the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life that you stop going after those beautiful children that God entrusted you to or that wonderful spouse that God said, I will give you and make you a helpmate. And I said, Lord, I haven't ruined it yet, but if you'll forgive me, I'll do it your the way the rest of my days. Can I have an amen? So when we look at this, we see the marriage and family can't be changed by what the church is. The reconstructing of this foundation, according to Genesis 1.26, is, so God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea. In verse 27, so God created man, listen to this, in his own image. In his own image, he created he, him, male and female created he, them. And God blessed them. Say, God bless me. And God said unto them, here's your commission and your mandate in the earth to be fruitful and multiply and replenish and subdue and have dominion over. Think about that. Just write that in your notes. Make sure you get this down. This is your original God-given mandate because you were made uh, in his image. I was talking to a guy yesterday in a restaurant from Uganda and I said what we're doing in Ghana, West Africa and they always call me Yavu. Hey, Yavu. And I said, what's that mean? He said, that means, that means like American white guy. <laughs> Yavu. He said, incorrect, incorrect. That means light. That means you are light. Everywhere you go, you are a reflection of his image. Yavu. You are a reflection of his image. I thought that is revelational. That you were made in his image, in his likeness for dominion. You are a reflection of the father's image. How many believe that today? Man, what if we believed that and started walking in his image, in his likeness, and walking in that dominion? 
So when I see that mandate, I wrote in my notes, the family has to be first because the family came before the church. And in the book, when I read this, it was transformational because God's instructions and intentions were for us to build a multi-generational family team on a mission. God's instructions with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were that your family would be known for generations and generations and generations. That your time on this planet would pour into the next generation and leave a legacy for people. In fact, God gives us this in Genesis 18, 18. He tells Abraham, he shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him and shall bless themselves by him. For I have known him and chosen him as my own so that he may teach and command his children and sons of his house after him to keep the ways of the Lord. Wow, to keep the way, I love that, of Abraham, what he had promised him. God is a multi-generational God. When I say we're called to build a 100-year church, that's why when we put a new wing on this side of the building for children this year, it's going to be all right. We have to have next generation serving the Lord. It has to be what we dump our lives into. It has to be what we give our money to. It has to be that our concern is not about us, but it's for the RJs. It's for name them one after another. And so what's God tell us? Children matter. Well, I got work. No, hold up. I got to win the world. Hold up. I got, I got a hobby. I got to go to a game. Just a minute. What's first priority in the kingdom? Seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things God will take care of. Psalm 78 says it this way. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past stories we've heard and known our ancestors have handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children, but we will tell them to the next generation about his glorious deeds of the Lord, about his power. Come on, someone say amen to that. About his mighty wonders, for he issued a law in Jacob, and he gave instructions to Israel, and he commanded our ancestors to teach them to the children so that the next generation might know them. Even the children that are not yet born, and they in turn will teach them to their own children, not forgetting the glorious commands. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. So really, we have to look at it this way. Not sure how many people I'll pastor, how many churches I'll build but I've been given a mission for Team Schaefer. There's some people on my team, Judah, Gloria, and Gabriel, and my coach, my assistant coach, Amy Schaefer, that we are a family with an intentional team mission to leave a legacy in the earth for the kingdom of God and for the name of Jesus Christ. What's that look like to you? What's that seem like? God would have you to be doing. He tells us in Deuteronomy 6, 7, he says it this way. You should wet and sharpen them so as to make them penetrate and teach and impress them diligently upon the minds and hearts of your children that you should talk to them when you sit in the house, 
when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. That you would impress on your kids the spirit of faith. That you would impress on your kids the prioritization of the word of God. What is this? The family team on a mission. It's not for sports. It's not for food. It's not for athletics. It's not for entertainment. We've messed this up a little bit in the USA. We've kind of been living for the wrong stuff. And so the, the, the Lord says, hey, I, I, got, I got you. To under, you have to understand this, how you impress upon your children. And so I, I just love that Amy and I go to Squirrel Hill with our friends and we have a Shabbat with them. And we sit around the table and he's reading the scriptures to his kids. And every Friday night in Israel, at that dinner, they lay, they lay their hands. Even here in Squirrel Hill, they lay their hands on their children and they speak over them. And they speak over them. And they decree over them. How many know we're called to that? This isn't just some ancient Jewish thing that, that went away when it's time to do Christianity and the church. It's interesting, this is a way of life. So in this book, when they, 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 they compared these think tanks and they asked somebody to write a description from a 12-year-old Israeli boy and they wanted to know what his history looked like, what his family looked like, what his future looked like, what his hope looked like. And then they did the same with a 12-year-old boy in Atlanta. And the, the, the Hebrew boy that was 12 years old wrote something like this. He said, my family lineage is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He said, my grandfather reads, my favorite thing is when my grandfather reads at the Shabbat, our family history. My greatest hope is that I'll see the Messiah someday and that God will restore Israel and all what the Romans have taken away from us through their taxation. We are farmers, we have olive trees and we are blacksmiths. And my greatest hope is that our family that lives in a village with our aunts, our uncles, our cousins, our sisters and brothers, that will add a new room onto the house because my brother's getting married. And that we would increase the family business. My greatest fear is that our name would be wiped out and known no more because of the taxation and the loss of land. My greatest dream this year is to, to know the Hebrew language from a rabbi like never before. Can you see the richness? Can you see the desire? What's put before them? And then they did the same to a 12-year-old boy in Atlanta. He said, my greatest hero is a pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. My hope is that I, they go to the World Series. My greatest desire is to get an iPhone for Christmas. And hopefully we have enough money to go to Florida for vacation. It was all built on temporary, temporary, temporary. And the Israeli boy was talking about eternal, eternal, eternal. How many know today... We have to get our focus, as the New Testament says, lift up your eyes. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Because if our mission of a family is a team and the playbook becomes the Bible, then our values totally change to something totally different. And then we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto us. Instead of seeking things, we seek our God. And God adds all the desires of this life to us. 
But in family and marriage, the disruption of the family, point number two, has become the curse of fatherlessness or daddy issues. Not just in a single parent, but sometimes, as Ruth Graham said, we had an absentee father. That's probably why I was married four times. I was looking for something and I never went away from the thought of abandonment because my daddy wasn't there for me. He was there for the whole world. And the article that I read from is, and it's on YouTube is, Billy Graham, the absentee father. Not just in drug addiction, but in the kingdom too, where kids need somebody to decrease something into their life that makes a difference and lay down their lives for their children and their family. So in the 1800s, fathers left the fields and the farms as mentors to their sons and they headed to the factories. And then by the time the 40s and 50s, it was leave it to beaver and honey, I'm home, but I'm so tired I need to sit in a chair and have a beer because I don't have time for my family. It's time to take back the family. It's time in the last days, Malachi says, I will turn the hearts of fathers back to their children and the children back to the fathers lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I will come in the spirit of Elijah to tell fathers, work's not as important as that baby. Money's not as important. That nice car's not, sacrifice the car, the beach house, the lake house, the the stuff and give that kid what he or she needs a daddy in the house, maybe we would have less daddy issues. See, COVID was actually a blessing because it came a time, even though it was a curse, it became a time to stop and hold up and wait a minute. Something ain't right. And it made us slow down and reflect. And then I wrote in my notes that maybe when we pause and reflect and redirect, maybe adversity really brings out what's really in people's hearts like a tea bag. When it gets in hot water, what's truly in it comes out. Maybe according to James 1, where it says, count it all joy when you fall into trials and tests of all sorts, knowing this, the trying of your faith worketh patience. The message Bible says, in hard times, your faith life is forced out into the open and shows up its true colors. How many know 2024 is a huge open door for multiplication, but it's also a time of testing for the church that will show up what's really in your heart. So as I look at this family foundation, I go, wait, wait a minute here. So we see the breakdown of the family. And the Lord said, why is this? Because we strike the shepherd and the sheep scatter. Because it's about leadership. It's about being a family team. It's about being in the word of God, which is our playbook. It's about the family team that said, it's all about the team. See, when coaches get a guy that's a Michael Jordan mentality, when coaches get, I'm the number one guy on the team, that's not a team anymore. That's a cancer. See, the modern day family has been created to say, here's a new baby, what's their gift, what's their place, where do they fit? But child-centered parents say, we need to bless this kid, this kid's this, this kid, and we make the kid think, we're so centered on you, forget about them, forget about us, our marriage is suffering, but we're child-centered. We didn't do that. 
We, 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 my wife had the first baby. She's sitting right there next to her. And she said, what are we going to do this week? I said, we're going to church. But she's only three days old. Grab her. You're going to sit here. You're going to sit there. Let's go. See, we're taking children along with us for the ride. We're not catering to the, sometimes we cater to the baseball, soccer, hockey. We're running all over the place. We're losing our marriage. We're losing our family because we cater just to this child. And we're losing the nuclear family that's a wholesome place where God wants to minister in the family first. But the disruption of fatherness has robbed and stolen and killed and destroyed. And it's made us consumers instead of contributors. I was thinking about this thought. Listen to this. Here's how we live now. It used to be save up, wait till you have enough. My grandfather bought his first home cash. He had credit cards, but he cut them all up. And we would wait for that couch, but now you can finance it and have it now. We'd wait for that car. No, they can finance it now. Where's, where's, where, can, can we do that, Russ? Should we get one today or wait till Monday? You can finance anything. That dude will finance a red rusty wagon if you go down to Beyondies. Some sled, some red sled. But what we do is we go, we go, you know what? We'll save the money. No, no, here's a credit card. 28% interest, you could have it now. Yeah, it'll be at my door on Amazon tomorrow. That's the way this generation is living. It's an Instapot, Instagram generation. I thought about that Insta. It all comes from the word instant gratification. You can pay for it later, but you can have it all now. And really, you are paying for it much later. But the Bible tells us that, that, you know, that kid needs this now. Give it for him now. We need that. Run to Sam's call. This, get it now. Get this now. Uh, get it on Amazon now. It'll be at your door in the morning. I got friends that live in Dallas. They click on their computer because Amazon hubs there. It's at their house in four hours. Talk about. And that's what we're appealing to, that instant gratification. That's what Instagram. I used to have to lust and it was hard, but now I can have it now. Now I can look at pictures now. Now I can look at food now. Now I can have a relationship with a girl in China today. <laughs> Russian girls need friends. You seen it? Girls in the Philippines need someone to talk to. Sure they do. Satan? Insta, you can have an instant relation. Now I'm not making fun of you met somebody and you're really in love and you've courted and dated. But man, this Insta generation is ruining the church because it's not instant gratification. It's, I'm a, you, you got a scripture, brother? Genesis 8, 26. You've been believing the lies of Instapot, Instagram, Insta story. You know why? As long as the earth remains. Genesis 8, 26. Seed, time, and harvest shall not cease. It's not instant gratification. It's called delayed gratification. We waited 28 years to almost have everything paid off. And now to have $10 million assets in this church and owe about a million is a good thing. Amen? Now this year to build a new church and buy another church in the next two months, it's a good thing. We aren't going to have to take up a special offering. I hope you give, but we're going to follow the Lord. 
Because when you follow the kingdom ways, you exponentially grow in the kingdom. Why do people run? I'm going to move to California and it's going to be better. It won't. They're chasing money, chasing a career. It can be better instantly. No, it doesn't. Money won't make you happy. You can't serve God and money. I told my wife, we'll never make a decision on money, the lack of it or the abundance of it. We will follow the will of God. My children will follow the will of God and great will be their peace. What are we speaking over them? What are you saying? See, this instant gratification mentality Chat GPT, you know a guy said to me the other day, he said, hey, get on this real quick. Pastor, uh-oh. you can have a sermon quick. Chat GPT, give me a sermon on righteousness with 15 illustrations of your best. It, you, you wait five seconds. Wow, look at that. He stole it from all the great mentored people. It's right there. It's like 15 pages. I'm like, I'm gonna throw that in the garbage because they're trying to, you're kind of do what the Holy Spirit does in you. They're trying to be a fake. One guy looked at me and said, you know what, Pastor? I can make $10,000 by Friday. He said, watch, Chad, how can I make $10,000 by Friday? He said, take $1,000, invest it in this, put it in this, day trade this, do this, do this. By Friday, you'll have 10 grand. Some of y'all are going to do that. I see you looking at me. <laughs> like, Pastor, I'll be able to tithe more and give more. It's a scam. Pretty soon they'll be running the world. Who are they? We don't know. Bunch of billionaires sitting in a room letting some robot tell you what to do. God so loved the world that he gave his son. He so loved you. So when I look at this, I go, wow. So this man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So that the secularists and the humanists have misrepresented who God is. Because they said the instant mindset is you can have all this quicker. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. You can have all this quick. And then what's that gear us towards? Selfishness. The spirit of this age is selfishness. Don't be conformed to the spirit of this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you can prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What we use that scripture for? I don't need you. I'm moving away from my home. I'm moving away from my family. I'm going to do this alone. I don't need your help, daddy. I don't need your help, mama. I can do this. I don't need you. I don't want your help. I'll do this on my own. That humanist, secular mindset. Why wouldn't we build on what our parents have built and our grandparents have built? Why wouldn't we be a tribe of people that understand how to love one another? And God says, I'm bringing the church into a new tribal mindset. A new church mindset. I have Jeff Seck and I know Seth and I know Joey and I knew Freddie and I got Vincent. We're together, man. There's nothing that can stop the new family of God called the church. Are you in it? Are you a part of it? Same thing. When you're part of it, don't focus on you and become a cancer and your opinion and your gossip and your issues. Focus on what's my part on the team. Been coached for years and been coached for years. What's my part on the team? Why are we undefeated at 93 and 0? Not because we were the best. As I close today, but we loved each other so much. We loved each other. And every one of us said, My strongest part is this, and I'll stay in my position. Your strongest part is that, stay in your position.
You're left-footed, Mitch Trotter. Stay right there. Corey Armstrong, you're the best center fullback. Nobody gets by you. Stay right there. Schaefer, you're tall. You stay in the middle, head the ball in the goal. How many know when everybody uses their gift, their talent, and their grace, we all win? But when we start complaining about me and I and my, usually it's filled with this scripture called selfishness, 2 Timothy 3, 2. For in that last day, people will be lovers of self, utterly self-centered, lovers of money and aroused by inordinate affection, greedy desire for wealth. Guess what? I say in this church all the time, it's not about me. It's not about as a child and a family, what I get is about what I get to give. It's not about what I take, it's what I add to. What if the church would stop asking my feelings, my emotions, my hurt, I'm upset. The devil's got people, I mean, he's playing them like Dorothy in the Wizard of Oz. All upset. And God says, all I need you to do, Pastor Buck, to build a 100-year church is love your family first, love your wife first, build a strong family, and, and build that road to be bigger so all your families are healthy, all your marriages are strong. And as I close today with this last most important point, this is where we'll pick up next week, that every one of us is established in the love of the Father. Here's what I want to say to you. I don't know a lot, but I know a little bit about building. And I made a lot of mistakes in building. But my first mistake years ago was getting a guy that's in this church to build my first house. And me and him were the general contractors. And as we were building uh, this beautiful piece of property in Level Green, and on half of it, I said, this is going to make a great space, and we're going to do this. And I got all this vision. I scared the architect. I built a house, my first one, that had 140 windows in it. If you count them, they're all in it. It needed ledges everywhere, brick ledges everywhere. I said, this is a nightmare. It's a disaster. How are you going to carry the weight for those big doors? And I said, I don't know, but we'll figure it out. And so I went to the foundation. And the guy that did the survey came back to me. He said, we got a problem. Oh, no, first problem. We didn't even break ground yet. He did the survey. And he said, Here's half your ground. You have an acre point three here. And he said, half of the ground is virgin ground. That means it's soil that's never been touched. The other half of the ground is called fill. It's got a bunch of garbage in it. You got a problem. So what do we do? So we called the engineer. We called the architect. They said, we're going to get together. They said, you need a couple piers. They're called caissons. You're going to pour holes in the, you're going to dig holes in the ground and you're going to pour cement. So he, he did this. He said, this is what your house is going to look like on that side. And you're going to go into where the ground is solid. And you're going to have your foundation standing like this on these, I don't know how big they were, at least 20-inch caissons. And I thought, okay, cool. We can build five or six of those. It's all good. He said, you need 36. <laughs> they're only $1,000 a piece. So if you would see us back in year 19, when, babe? No, 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 2005, babe. Well, come on, man. <laughs> 2005, there I am, ready? I looked at, I'll just be honest, he's probably watching online. Everyone say, hi, Marsh. Hi, 
Marsha looked over at me. I said, you ever, you ever drilled caissons? He goes, no, but I got a book from Home Depot. We laid it on the ground and a drilling truck went 20 feet, 20 feet, 20 feet. And I watched money pour into the earth. With four steel rods, we connected them together, jammed them in there. And I watched it. Oh, that's great. That's a thousand, a little more than a thousand, more cement. And they were hitting bedrock. And then I went over with my wife and we prayed and we took one of my favorite Bibles and I put it in the foundation. I put it in a Ziploc bag. And I said, we're going to put this in the dirt and this house has to stand in Jesus' name. You know, 20 years later, they walked through that house we sold. And they said, there's something interesting about this house. I said, what? They said, there's not one crack in the foundation. Not one crack. First one, we did pretty good. Not one crack. Amen. And that was probably mostly because of the Holy Ghost. But not one crack in the foundation. What do we have in America today? Cracks all over people, marital foundation. Cracks all over the family foundation. The marriage isn't working. The family isn't working because it hasn't been established in the love of God. And here's what God said to me. All those 36 pillars that that thing never cracked is because every pillar stands for one thing. We just sang the song. Jesus is the rock. But guess what he said? Jesus is the manifest love of God. Jesus is those pillars that hold up your life are this. Well, let me read it to you as we close today. Check it out. It's over in Matthew 7. These words I'm speaking to you, they're not incidental additions to your life. Homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They are foundational words, words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. When the rain poured and the river flooded and the tornado hit, nothing was able to move that house because it was fixed upon the rock. But if you just use my words and Bible studies and don't work them into your life, come on, say amen to that. You got to work this into your life. You are like a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. And when the storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. What's happening in 2024, some people's foundations are collapsing like a card, a house of cards. Like a house built on the sand, Jesus said. But if we're a multi-generational family on a mission led by a godly father... Let me establish this, then we'll end. The Bible says this, and you know this. Everyone knows this scripture, but think about it for a minute. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved. Say, God so loved. Me. Say it again. God so loved. Me. Now see, Galatians 5 says it this way. It's not about your rules and regulations. It's not about circumcision, putting off of the flesh, or uncircumcision. But here's what the scripture says. But only faith that is activated, energized, expressed, and working by love. So wait, wait, wait. I'm I'm studying this, right? The Holy Spirit's the best teacher on the planet, right? I'm just studying about this. That's a great analogy. God, thank you for the revelation. And the Holy Spirit says to me, go back a little bit. I said, what do you mean go back a little bit? He said, who is Jesus? And he said, the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the world. And I started thinking with my little spiritual mind. So if God loved me beforehand, 
Before the world began, God had a plan. He was the lamb that was slain before the world ever began. Like, hold up. Predestinations are crock. Can I have an amen? Amen. Reformed doctrine, don't believe it. If you have that background, don't believe that stuff. It'll tell you, Sarah, Sarah, whatever God wants will be. No, God made you as a free moral agent with a free will and a choice. You have a choice. And when his love breaks in on your choice and you see God's love, everything changes. So as I was reading that, the Lord said to me, please let me, let my people know how much I love them. This is where your pillars of your foundation are, Ephesians. Just so you know, this is what Presbyterian doctrine uses to tell us you were predestined to be a sinner or predestined to be a saint or predestined to get seven divorces or predestined to do drugs. It's just God pre-planned that bull crap. Can I throw down the bull crap card? That's bad doctrine. Let's read right doctrine. Ephesians 1, 4. This isn't in your notes unless they can pull it up. The Amplified, this was shower revelation. Even, listen to this. Even as in his love, he chose us, actually picked you out for himself as his own. Come on, somebody shout. Come on, say he picked me. Wait, this is, you get established in this stuff, you'll take over the world for Jesus. Even in his love, he kept saying this to me by the Holy Spirit, in his love. This motivation of God so loved, he chose and actually picked me out in the Amplified himself as his own in Christ before the foundation of the world. That you should be holy, consecrated, set apart for him and blameless in his sight, even above reproach, before him in love. Do you think your God loves you? Come on, do you believe God loves you? Wow, so, so let me close here. He actually picked me out. I'm, I'm in the, I get out of the shower. I'm dancing. My wife's like, are you all right? I'm like, he picked me. He picked me. He picked me. Come on, think about that thought. It wasn't last year. It wasn't 1967 when I was born that he knew. It wasn't 1966 when I was fearfully and wonderfully made in my mama's womb. It was before the world began that he chose JJ and Bex to be married in this church and go into all the world and proclaim the God. It was before the world began that he chose you because he was driven by this love. And, and he tell, Paul tells us, Paul tells us what length and breadth and height What can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? So anything pending, shall a divorce? No. Shall an abortion? No. Shall a drug addiction? No. What can separate you from the love of God which is in Christ? His love knows no bounds. Listen to this revelation, this scripture, and I'll bounce. I'll bounce north. But somebody say, he picked me. 1 John 4, life scripture, top 10. You ought to meditate this scripture. Freddie, where are you going? This is a good part. Oh, okay. Wait at the back. Okay? Wait at the back till I at least get this scripture done because you're a man of God and you need this in your pillar. 416. And we know. Come on, do we know? And we understand and we recognize. Here's what I want to get in you. And we're conscious of. We're conscious of by observation and by experience. And believe it and hear and put our faith 
and trust and are conscious of and believe in and hear the faith that God loves and cherishes us. God is love and he who dwells and continues in love dwells and continues in God. And God dwells and continues in him. Verse 18, there is no fear in love. Dread does not exist, but full-grown, complete, mature love, perfect love turns outdoors, expels every trace of terror. Fear brings with it the thought of punishment. He who is afraid has not reached the full maturity of love, has not grown into love's complete perfection. We love him because he first loved us. I asked my mother and I started thinking back, why did my dad, something happened to my dad when he got saved. He felt the father's love because he never knew the earthly father's love. Daddy got saved and walked out of Oakmont Baptist Church. And there's a guy named Joe Jeremita who discipled my dad personally. And I told my wife, Joe was a soul winner. He impacted my dad so much that he said, how could God love me like this? How could God, my own earthly father didn't care for me. He called me names. He pummeled me. He beat me up. He said negative things to me. It was a horrific dad. He left my mom with five kids for another young lady and bounced. And my dad as the oldest son felt the pressure that I got to take care of my family. And he went to the Marines and he, they gave, put a bayonet in his hand and a gun in his hand and said, stab that. You're angry. You're, they called him names and he came out a monster. He was mad at everything. He would fight at the drop of the hat. But that day in 1973, his whole life changed and he became a man of love. Now, it took a while to learn how to love you because you've got to renew your mind because that, that mind, if you don't renew your mind, that old thing will come back and you'll get angry with your wife. You'll get ticked off. But you know what? He became so conscious of the love of God that he said, if God loved me this much and he saved me and transformed me, I have to tell everybody. And to the day my dad died, everywhere he went, souls got one. He just told them about God's love. He laid his hand on everybody that got healed. He just told them about God's love. God loves you, wants to heal you. God loves you, wants to save you. God loves you, wants to bless you. God loves you. Say, God loves me. So I go, wait a minute. I had these 18 boys in my boys' home when I went to Bible school. Many of them are dead now because they never knew the earthly love of a father and they hated themselves. The devil's ultimate goal is self-hatred, so you take your own life. I watch these young men not having the influence of a father's love and the stability of their home. And they were driven, listen to this, they were driven by fear. Fear was the driving factor. Someone would adopt them and they'd mess up in two weeks because they were afraid. You're not, you don't really love me. You don't really care about me. I can't trust you. See, before you can have faith, you have to understand love. Faith works by love, and they can never understand a father's agape, unconditional love. It doesn't say, I love you because you're good. I love you because you perform. I love you because you look nice. I just love you because you're my son. I just love you because you're my son. And the Bible says, when you understand the love of God, the Bible tells us in Romans 8, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For the spirit which you have now received is not a spirit of slavery to put you back in bondage to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. Come on, say, I've been adopted. That's what happened to my father. He felt adopted by the real father. He said, the spirit of adoption. The spirit of producing sonship. 
See, the Spirit produces this sonship in the bliss whereby we cry. The original translation of Hebrew is Daddy, Abba, 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 Daddy, Abba, Abba, Father, Daddy. He doesn't want you to know him as an Old Testament angry God. He said the new covenant when Jesus came, he wants you to know him as Daddy. He wants you to run to him as Daddy when you have a need. He wants you to know him. When my kids were crying, they'd scream, Daddy, and I'd run into the room and all fear is gone. Having a nightmare. How many know God wants to let his perfect love manifest in your life? to cast out all fear and torment because he picked you before the foundations of the world because he chose you because he loved you and he had a plan for you and as I close today here's what the Lord said he said in my great love if you get established in it become conscious of it become to know and trust and believe it and experience it for yourself that's what God did for you he chose you and here's what he said to me. I loved Ray's adoption. Wasn't it awesome? I stood there with you two. And they said, you denounced treating any other kid as favorite. Ray is now your son. He gets equal inheritance of all the sons, right? The judge was like, what a celebration in this courtroom. Pastor, pray. That's your boy. You choose him. You picked him out. You want him. You love him. You need him. He's like any other kid. What a day that was. But here's, here's, the, here's the kicker. The Lord said, I already picked every one of you. But how many will never believe my love? And because they don't believe my love, they'll never choose me. They'll never choose their loving creator father. Because they'll see this world, all the fake love. Valentine's Day. Have a sexual relation with somebody. Somebody online, fake love. Get some chocolates, fake love. Take me out for a nice dinner, fake love. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just saying sometimes we look at all this stuff. We say that's what love is. It's pink and it's red roses. And it's the love of God. When it's believed, when you see it, like I did at five, like my father did, and now you say, God, I'm not a perfect individual, but I know your love. I believe your love. I'm secure in your love, and I'll do anything you want me to do with my life because it all belongs to you because you so loved that you gave these are the foundations that I begin to speak this month and the pastors that are speaking in these services. What happens when your life gets established in the love of God? It drives out every bit of fear. You say, where's poverty come from? Fear of not enough. Where's sickness come from? Fear that the devil will take me out. Where do these phobias come from? Fear that I'll die young. Fear that I'm anxious. Fear phobias of this, phobias of that. The devil's just multiplying phobias. I won't be loved. My dad didn't want me. My mom didn't want me. They didn't want me. That's all he needs to do to destroy your life. Fill you with fear. But knowing